Over the last year and a half here on the AI and Industry Podcast, we really aim to dial in the questions we ask and the guests that we have around transferable business use cases, capabilities that business leaders can think about to kind of plug and play into different aspects of their business. So even if we focus on healthcare, we want it to be transferable to finance. If we focus on NLP in retail, we want some really tangible lessons that people in banking or manufacturing can take away as well. And that core idea actually came from a lot of our best reviews on iTunes. We have listeners from all over the world, and we have folks that have been grateful to pick up ideas in places they wouldn't have normally found them and to call that out and say thanks on iTunes. And I basically never do this anymore. Uh, In fact, I probably should maybe once every two months. But if you enjoy the show, AI and Industry, if, if you get more out of your commute by tuning in, drop us a review. Go on iTunes and let us know the parts about the show that you like the most. We are constantly reading those as they come in. We don't we don't ask for enough of them, but when they do come in, it is always part of our quarterly brainstorms and something that we look over. So head over to iTunes and drop a review for AI and industry. Let me know what you like and what you'd like to see more of. These are things that we take seriously indeed. As for today's episode, we focus back on the topic of AI hardware. Our guest is Marshall Choi. He's the VP of product at Samba Nova, which is an AI hardware firm based in the Bay Area. Samba Nova was founded by a number of Oracle and Sun Microsystems alums. Um, And Marshall speaks with us this week about two major topics. One, how will business models fundamentally change with respect to new AI hardware capabilities? Uh, Not just incremental improvements, but are there areas that might change so drastically that we should think differently about our business? Second, we ask about how business leaders, people who do not understand how to build silicon chips or really fundamentally understand the nuances of a GPU, how can those folks, business leaders, think about their AI hardware needs? When they look at their business, where could AI hardware maybe deliver value? And thinking beyond just, okay, where do we have a lot of data to really nuanced take of where should we look deeper to actually find AI hardware opportunity or potential. Sambanova is one of many firms that's going to be advertising at the Kisako Research AI hardware event in Beijing. Uh, That's coming up in June 4th and 5th, and that's going to be in Beijing, China, of course. This episode is sponsored by Kasako Research, who put us in touch with Samba Nova as a featured interview on the podcast so we could let folks know about the event. We'll have more details about the event on the actual episode here, so if you head over to emerj.com and you search Marshall Choi in the search box, you'll be able to find this episode and, and more detail about the event as well. But without further ado, I really think we got a lot out of sort of a bigger picture thinking around AI hardware in this episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, I'm Dan Fagelli. You're tuned into AI and Industry, and this is Marshall Choi with Samba Nova. So Marshall, where I wanted to start off with this episode is kind of on thinking in the level of business models. I think that often folks in the business world might imagine AI hardware as being a factor to speed up uh, what we're doing with our our algorithms, what we're doing in terms of data science in the company, um, but I think that there are potentially ways that that actual business processes could change. How do you think about this beyond just speed? What are the real shifts in business that occur with hardware? Yeah, that's a great question, Dan. And and I think you know for sure, you know, speed is certainly one of the benefits that you're always going to hear about, but it goes much much broader and much deeper than that when it comes to. AI and how a business is going to adopt that. And so, you know, if you look at, you know, the way that things in the past have been done with different things like predictive analytics and and big data, 
you know, a lot of the focus has been around, you know, how do we, how do we, you know, look at patterns and, and things that are going on, like in banking, for example, with, you know, automated threat detection systems, how do we review historical patterns and, and how does, you know, how do we then, you know, project those forward and forecast what's going to happen and, and make best guesses about that. But I think, you know, in this example with threat detection, it's going to be more around generating automated threat uh, prevention systems, whether that's for fraud or counterterrorism funding, anti-money laundering. It's really about not just gleaning from past patterns of what's going to happen, but really understanding what is really going to happen based on a number of other factors. And so, you know, if you look again at retail, for example, you know, you have automated customer service agents who right now, you know, you may have a big problem just getting that agent to understand what it is you were trying to say, right? And in the future, it's going to be much more about that agent, that automated customer service agent, knowing what you meant to say versus just doing literal translations, right? And understanding intent and context. And uh, again, you know, being able to provide a much more richer service to end users. Um, We think that's a big part of where this is going. Cool. And so we can poke a little bit into maybe a a few of these examples you just mentioned. You know, you talked about the threat detection side of things where maybe historically, We've got a lot of folks digging into past patterns, getting a sense of where things have been historically, where the serious threats or the false positives have been historically, and then kind of calculating, calibrating, and then, you know, trying to predict maybe off of that. While you're saying in the future, and, and I think, you know, looking ahead, it's it's hard for the, the future to not bend more and more this way. In the future, it'll be more about having machines that can understand a lot of that context and maybe have a much better kind of real-time pulse Maybe that's going to involve pulling from more data sources. Maybe that's going to involve doing a lot more calculations, comparisons, kind of work on the computing side. And is it that kind of additional work that we can that we can do kind of in an immediate sense? Is that what is going to potentially change that business process? Is that kind of where you were going there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the you know, I think one of, one of the imperatives here is to you know get started sooner than later because everybody is looking at this and, you know, the problems are just getting bigger and bigger. But the reality is, is with machine learning, you know, as the largest subset of AI that we're talking about here is, you know, the more data, the more you train the system, um, you know, the more, more runs you go through, the more accurate and precise and quicker to answers the system gets. In a sense, the faster it learns, and the more intelligent it becomes to actually be able to provide those answers and those insights that, uh, you know, we're lacking today. Yeah. And I, I do think that, you know, obviously uh, there will be companies that get a jump on this. There's probably going to be some that invest willy nilly without thoroughly understanding what they're doing. But I think mm-hmm. smart investments in this area, like anywhere else, you know, may make sense for a lot of firms. Uh, and it sounds like maybe a way of thinking, and I'm kind of just pulling from what you're saying here, Marshall, but I want to make sure yeah. that this clicks, is that... If we can think about something that we could do in that fraud example or that threat detection example there, if that workflow changed so radically and we didn't have so many people manually kind of plugging and detecting those past patterns and kind of keeping an eye on things in in real time, if, if all of a sudden they sort of now need to be occupied with different work, maybe that's a kind of shift where, again, it's not really just speed. The computing power allows the people in a department to now focus their brain power elsewhere. And maybe executives need to think through, 
what would that additional workhorse of, of computing mean for what people are doing? And maybe that's how the business changes. Maybe now those folks can focus on new things or other opportunities. This this feels to me like something beyond speed. I want to make sure I'm following you in the right way. Yeah, you're, you're spot on there, Dan. And, you know, it, it really comes down to, you know, the ability to automate out a number of things that, you know, may, may take just a few seconds for a human to, to decide, you know, mundane and, and repetitive tasks. You know, we'll, we'll, let's take another example, right? If you look at healthcare and, and, you know, diagnostic systems for, you know, medical imaging, where you're looking at some sort of an x-ray for, you know, some anomaly, you know, these are, you know, oftentimes very, very human intensive things. And I think we've all unfortunately heard the stories of, you know, the, you know, a friend or relative who's been in for a scan and they, they march in the, uh, the person who's in charge of looking at the scan and, you know, applaud their valiant and heroic efforts because they found, you know, this tumor that was overlooked by countless other doctors. Yeah. yeah. You know, that while, while certainly that, that effort is successful, we can increase the success rates of that. We can turn that multi-stage, multi-person process of passing around the film and, and examining and analyzing it to just a couple seconds or even less than a second. And so therefore the healthcare provider can focus you know, more, you know, less on the, uh, the analyzing and diagnosis part and more on the treatment side of things, right? Which again, is a higher value add to the patient and the end user customer than, than sitting there staring at a medical chart. Yes. Well, particularly if machines can't do it yet. If for some reason machines could be compassionate and calm down someone who's ill or whatever, but they, they couldn't understand images, then maybe vice versa. But yes, given the state of affairs, I would say that's a correct assumption. And that's another area where, kind of like what you mentioned in, in the, the threat detection space, if the kind of working ability of our compute can really radically improve something that much, now all of a sudden people are spending their time in different ways. So again, maybe if it's and, and healthcare and AI, that, that's a very, there's going to be a lot of slow moving kind of clunkety ways that that makes its way into healthcare. We talk to enough companies that sell into that space. But, you know, if a CEO of a hospital chain is far thinking enough, they might want to not just imagine, okay, let's do this stuff quicker. But would doctors just be focused on different things? Would the, you know, the allocation of their special powers within these walls, you know, be placed inordinately in a different way than they are today? if hypothetically these things could be automated. It seems like these are sort of thought experiments beyond speed and to, you know, different uses of where humans can use kind of their special skill. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, there are, there are, you know, we talked to a lot of customers and, and a lot of the problems they have, you know, are just insurmountable in terms of the amount of time and effort and people resources to solve them. And, you know, one of the byproducts of the speed is, you know, if I can take something that was going to take you 30 days and bring that down to, you know, three minutes, suddenly something that you gave up on trying to solve for that was going to be a, a six-month problem is now concatenated to a significantly more doable time frame. And so the realm of possibilities, you know, quickly opens up in terms of what's solvable, you know, tomorrow versus what's currently unsolvable today. Understood. And, and hopefully that's a take-home message that people can kind of carry out of this episode. The other point that I wanted to sort of ask from the perspective of the listener, from the perspective of people considering these technologies, 
thinking through lenses about how business processes would change, and then maybe how we allocate human expertise. That's one good exercise. Mm-hmm. Another exercise maybe for the C-suite here, or, or the functional leaders within companies who are listening in, is how do we think about our AI hardware needs? You know, Obviously, as, as you're well aware, the people that are going to be cutting the checks for this kind of stuff, they may or may not be the ones who really understand all that much about silicon or all that much about you know GPUs versus X versus Y versus Z architecture that Google is building out. Mm -hmm. Um, But they are still going to need to be part of making the investments and they're going to need to understand practically where should I as an executive leader be considering, you know, hardware investments as something viable. And honestly, if I want to be responsible with my money, where should I kind of steer clear? You know, what are the areas that, that might be worth looking into versus the ones that aren't? How would you advise someone who's a buyer in, let's say, a big retail company, big finance company, it doesn't matter. How would you advise them to put this stuff on their radar? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, for for most business leaders, you know, their interaction point with the technology stack is going to be starting with the business application and and rightfully so. And, you know, the hardware is something several layers below that and is oftentimes quite abstracted from the overall business application. But, you know, my belief is, is the full stack actually matters. And if you look at, you know, what's happened over the last decade or so, Software has kind of eaten the world and, and, and changed things quite a bit. And machine learning, in turn, um, is really changing the way that software is developed and run. And so we're in much more of a software-led, software-defined world than ever, um, which we think is the right approach to this. Hardware-leading software just doesn't make a lot of sense. And so, you know, engaging with hardware from a perspective of, Using infrastructure that is, uh, you know, thoughtfully designed from a software-first mentality, and therefore designed to accommodate the requirements and needs for data flow and data processing from the upper-level software application, we think is the right way to think about this. And legacy implementations just don't provide it because they weren't built with that current mindset. Is there potentially, could we walk through a hypothetical business that might have to apply this new way of thinking? I'm, I'm just imagining in my mind, I, I like to see if I can play a mental movie when I hear things. And it, it might be helpful, I think, for the listeners on their commute to also, you know, imagine whether you want to use a bank, you want to use a pharma company, you know, maybe how they used to make decisions then versus now, given what you just said. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you look at the traditional world of transactional processing software systems, you know, whether that be, you know, an ERP system or a core banking system or, you know, a a taxation system in the public sector, the underlying software capabilities are, are pretty similar in terms of how they're developed and how they're implemented. The developer writes a very deterministic set of instructions that are literally interpreted by the computer. And we are, you know, you know, obsessively focused on nth degree of accuracy. For example, if you're a government collecting taxes, you want to collect the taxes down to the penny. If you want to check your bank account statement, you don't want that to be estimated. You want to, that to be very deterministic and accurate. With AI and machine learning, though, it's a little bit different. You know, let's look at a different example. You know, maybe it's a service recommendation system that could be in banking, that could be in retail, that could be a citizen services site for for government and public sector. You know, the key there is, you know, that system 
is going to be written very differently. It's going to be written much more probabilistically. And so using machine learning techniques, the developer's role in this is now to provide training data and the, the application is actually going to be written by the machine itself. And we're not actually after 100% accuracy, you know, to get to the right recommendation. You probably need to get to, you know, 70, 80% accuracy. And as a result, we can actually get to that answer faster and with greater level of accuracy. And so that's kind of the big difference in, in the software model. And then that clearly has implications on the hardware underneath. Maybe a last kind of sub question as a caveat to go along with this. Before we started recording, you had brought up something you had said that there might be problems that with the right hardware, and I suspect that this will very much be the case. I think it'll take a little while to discover them all uh, in the different dark corners of industries, but I think it'll be the case that, that there will be problems that we just thought were insurmountable, maybe didn't even question them and try to solve them, that all of a sudden will become solvable. I'm imagining you know, a boardroom trying to make decisions around where should we start considering AI hardware as something viable. I think the low-hanging fruit for a lot of these folks is going to be where are we leveraging data science? Where do we have density of really high value, you know, solid data? Where do we have kind of efficiency needs that maybe we really want to drive? I think often that's probably the first thing that's going to pop to mind. It's going to be hard for those folks to think about the paradigm shifting kind of guinea pig experiments of things that might they might be able to blow open with the right hardware. Is there a way that you think the sea level could could consider stuff outside of what would be the low hanging fruit. Like, huh? Where are we using a lot of data science talent now? Where do we have a lot of data now? Okay, that might be where we'll use hardware. Is there a way from kind of breaking out of that frame? Um, yeah, I think you know there's there's a few areas where this makes a lot of sense, and and I think first and foremost is what I encourage people to do is is don't look at the low hanging fruit as areas where they can achieve cost reductions or cost savings or just, you know, eliminating labor cost and effort, right? I mean, those are very tactical solutions that can provide some short-term fixes. But at the end of the day, what you want to focus on are areas that are going to help you to achieve, you know, new revenue streams, creation of new products and, and new new service offerings, right? You know, and much that that's the much more more strategic view. And, you know, where that comes in is, again, it's, uh, you know, a reversal of the the old world of predictive analytics, where, again, you know, it's more about, you know, trying to, uh, you know, forecast based on, on the historical patterns of what, what's going on, but more, you know, using AI to be able to foresee the future and, and uh, different trends, you know, based on other attributes. And so, um, you know, that's kind of where we see things, you know, being applied much more diligently. That does mirror advice that we've heard from other very schooled sort of even technical AI folks in terms of really thinking about what's going to mean growth into the future, what's going to mean winning in the market versus what's going to mean efficiencies. I think that even right now, the immediate thoughts for a lot of execs is what stuff can we automate? Not because mm-hmm. they want to get rid of people necessarily, but because that, yeah. that feels like what AI is, right? AI feels like robotic process automation, yeah. like that has a more sex appeal to it. But obviously, we're talking about something different. And I think hopefully for the readers tuned in, if you're on Emerge.com, if you're listening to this show, if you're exposed to a lot of successful use cases in different sectors, which is all that we cover, uh, hopefully you can do what as Marshall is saying and, and think about the big picture, about what it's going to look like to win into the future. And I would agree, that is a good place to think. So Marshall, that's all that we have for time, but I sincerely appreciate you sharing your insights here on AI and industry. So thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Dan. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of AI and Industry. This is your host, Dan Fagella. I hope that we catch you next week. Many of our executive listeners often get great ideas from our podcasts or our newsletters, but they end up coming to us for more help. So they might see some research project that we did with the World Bank, and they might want to do some of their own research on deeper market opportunities for AI in a specific sector or understanding the growth rates of AI in a certain domain. Uh, They might have seen some AI business strategy work that we've done with a pharmaceutical company and maybe ask about things along those lines or see one of the presentations that we've given at the United Nations and ask if we can speak at an event. Uh, And while we certainly do these things, uh, we're certainly involved with clients on pretty big projects on a regular basis, a lot of the time these messages will just end up in my personal inbox. People will find my email or they'll just find me on LinkedIn and send along a message. And this ends up being actually pretty tough to juggle at this point, given the travel schedule and given all the, the client projects that we're involved in. And few people actually know, particularly people who only listen to the podcast and, and aren't on Emerge.com or on the newsletter, uh, don't know that we actually have a services page that lists what we can help with. So we are not the best at everything, but in terms of what we do, which is mapping the capability space of AI and conveying that to executives in ways that help them win in the market, specific services tailored to that can be found at emerj.com slash services. So here at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, we work with government departments, we work with public companies, uh, we work with organizations who are serious about making AI a competitive advantage. And again, we actually do list sort of the programs that we have. So many of the podcast listeners don't know this. These messages end up in my inbox and then I'm you know, traveling for two weeks and I feel really bad that I get back to people later. But you can reach us through that services page or simply send along an email at services at emerj.com services at emerj.com from there dylan or marcus or one of our team members will be able to get back to you much more quickly uh, than i would via linkedin so if you're interested in doing more with what you've learned here if you have serious business initiatives related to artificial intelligence and you want to take your organization to the next level just simply reach us at emerge.com slash services that's emerj.com slash services or just email services at emerge.com that's emerge with a j so thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Next week, again, we're going to be diving into AI use cases and trends and conveying the transferable lessons that you can bring to your organization. And I look forward to having you here next week.